Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends, maybe, maybe friends, oh, William and Tom. Now, I want the truth from both of you. Which one of you revealed the rebel plans? One of you is a spy. No, no, no. No, you're really stretching this time, Stephen. Yeah, you're really, really stretching. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. It's but a yeah, valiant effort, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're here to talk about Mandalorian Chapter 23, The Spies, in case it wasn't clear from my brilliant pun. Just a bit. Uh, dry. Yeah, I mean, Tom, you want to tell us about this episode? Yeah, I'm going to give you an A for effort for trying that. But tonight we are going to be reviewing The Mandalorian Chapter 23, The Spies, directed by Rick Fimoyiwa and written by Jon Favreau. In this episode, the survivors come out of hiding. You know, in this episode, I would probably say the Mandalorians finally try and take back Mandalore. That, I think, is a better synopsis. I, they don't want to spoil it, Tom. They don't want to well, spoil but, it. So I, I get it. Yeah, but, I get but, it. Okay, but survivors come out of hiding. Well, we know it's the Mandalor Mandalorians. So the Mandalorians <laughs> is, come out of is hiding. It though? Is it the Mandalorians coming out of hiding? Okay, well, you could There's... also get into it that there could be an Imperial coming out of hiding because there is something about a spy going on. I mean, yeah. The episode picks up with uh, Elia Kane of... Uh, uh, I don't, I'm, 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 I always like on Dr. Pershing fame. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's better. That's good. Which is, you know, maybe a little unfortunate for, uh, we still haven't gotten an answer on Pershing yet, have we? I mean, I get, nope. we kind of get a reference, but like, I mean, we don't, they, they showed him in the, in the recap and then did nothing with him in the episode. So we don't actually know if he's still alive or not. The only thing they did is they hinted that was it. I mean, they, yeah, I mean, yeah. We we get confirmation though that Kane, I mean, I think as we expected, is working for Moff Gideon. We see her kind of delivering a report in an alley of Coruscant to a, a probe droid. Um, you know, always always suspicious. Um, and yeah, like it's I don't know, it's interesting. I'm glad we got confirmation. I I'm I kind of suspect we won't see any more of her in the, this particular season though. I, I, I mean, we'll see. I, maybe they'll return to her in the season finale. We like, like we were just talking about. We still don't know what happened to Doctor Pershing, but I, I love this whole opening sequence. It felt very much like Andor, you know, going through the uh, the streets of Coruscant, and mm -hmm. it, it, it looked really cool. And of course, that takes us to. Well, I guess I, before we get get into that, because I'm, I'm very excited to talk about the Shadow Council. But before we talk about the Shadow Council. Um, we actually get confirmation, and we all suspected, but that Moff Gideon was indeed the one behind the pirate attacks. Uh, mm -hmm. He was the one who hired um, uh, Easter Basket uh, Gorian uh, Shard to uh, to attack Navarro, and he tells her to continue her mission while he deals with the Mandalorians. And I have to wonder what is her mission, right? We know that she's been messing with Pershing and potentially killed or wiped his mind, killed him or wiped his mind. We know that she's reporting to Moff Gideon, but 
what is her what's her actual mission? Okay, I think her actual mission is to make sure the New Republic does not find out that there are Imperial droids that can actually get on Coruscant and kind of operate freely and not not send up any kind of red flags because really an Imperial droid that we've seen before, we've seen how can the Imperials pull this off? And not get found out. Uh, there's so much traffic coming in and out of Coruscant. I don't have much trouble believing that a probe droid could get around undisputed. But My guess is to, that there it's, has to be something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but well, I'll take it with a grain of salt. I'm still very interested to see what her ultimate mission is, though, and what she's what she's trying to do. You know, it'd be very interesting to see. Um, but we have to get into the Shadow Council because as soon as Moff Gideon wraps up his call with Aliyah Kane, he walks this very cool catwalk with these red force fields past these new, I think they're new, right? St- uh, stormtroopers and these yep. like commando stormtroopers, not Imperial commandos like Republic commandos, but some other type of commando. Not 100% they, clear. They're very reminiscent of, uh, oh, the like the first order stormtroopers. Like their helmets yeah. are starting to creep in that direction, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I do like that, right? How we're starting to get that little bit of the intermediate step between the first order and the stormtroopers. And this is when he walks into a uh, conference room. Oh, also many, many cloning tanks, right? Hints of cloning, which we'll talk more about in mm-hmm. a moment. And he meets with the shadow council and this is our, we've heard of the shadow council in af- aftermath. This is the first time ever seeing it. And also supposedly the shadow council was dissolved after the battle of Jakku many, many years ago. So they're so still around. Saying, is that somehow the shadow council has returned? Exactly. It appears in this episode. Yes. And I, I don't know about you, you guys. I loved seeing this, seeing all the Imperial warlords, gathered discussing their evil plans i mean steven i know you're a huge you, you love the new republic era did, did I this do. make you happy how did you feel seeing this sequence this is yeah i i was extremely happy to see this it was i'd say the closest we've gotten to the like proper description of like what's going on in this era um I still really wish we would get, uh, like, we get a little bit more at the New Republic, and the New Republic wouldn't be quite so incompetent. Um, but this is what I wanted to see. Like, uh, we've got in- the Imperial Warlords. You can tell that they, you know, the Empire is, you know, very uh, defeated compared to where it was, or, you know, it's fallen in power, but they're not all on the same page. There are different projects all vying for each other. Um, but they're still working towards a broader goal. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, we get a very, very large uh, hint towards, I think, what the next couple of years of Star Wars television are going to look like with, Mm -hmm. you know, certain references for people like Thrawn and Hux and, um, you know, some uh, very, very tantalizing hints, to say Mm -hmm. the least. Oh, yes. I think that I think Mm -hmm. this sequence will have a quite a quite a big impact on where Star Wars goes over the next few years. I, I think, think the biggest impact I think the biggest impact is going to be going into the Ahsoka series because of the reference to Thrawn. And who's to say that maybe in the season finale of this of the Mandalorian, we may see a hint of Thrawn. I don't think he's going to come into mm-hmm. it. 
But I, I get the feeling that that you, you've got Gideon is really pushing Paleon of where is he? Where is he? I mean, we're waiting for this grand return of Thrawn. Where is he? Sorry, before we get to Paleon, which I'm very, very excited about. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, that, I got a giant I, grin on my face when I heard his name and I saw him. But yeah, Stephen. I so so some Tom, something he's just or maybe it was William said about like setting the future. I wonder how much of this is going to end up uh, if this or I describe this. Um, I suspect we will find that each of the different factions we're seeing in here will be represented as villains in different TV shows. Mm -hmm. So there's I don't I, can see that. I didn't catch all of the names, but there's one um, council member who is most interested in like raiding Imperial hyperspace lanes. Yes. Um, I wonder if that might be related to Skeleton Crew. Like, I, I'll be the first to admit I haven't paid a ton of attention to Skeleton Crew other than that, like, I know it's coming. Mm -hmm. But that feels very... That's a good point, yeah, because... Uh, reminiscent of that. We don't get his name, but he's a commander played by Johnny Coyne. And you're right, he's talking about, you know, wanting to plunder these hyperspace lanes. And I do wonder, you're, you're right, maybe, maybe we will see them later. They only named three of the Imperials. Uh, Captain Gilad Palayan, which is just, oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Commandant Brendel Hux, of course, the father of uh, General Armitage Hux from the sequel trilogy. And uh, also played by Brian Gleason, Donald Gleason's brother. So that's a cool connection. And mm -hmm. um, of course, uh, Moff Gideon. And then there's like six unnamed Imperial warlords. But they all get a little bit of screen time, and you're right. Maybe they were picked so that they could bring them back in the future as various villains. I, that's I, I love that idea. And it yeah, gets back I, to it gets back to what they're trying to do. They're trying to world build at this point. Yeah. So Stephen, yeah, and uh, I was gonna say, and of course, Peleon, famous from like legends in so many different ways. First, the right hand of Thrawn. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, his executor, you know, the first one to, um, you know, take him under his wing in some way or vice versa. I don't know how to describe it. Like, Peleon helps shepherd Thrawn and Thrawn shepherds Peleon and it's mm -hmm. glorious all around. Um, and he is, I mean, largely up to his old tricks, it looks like here. Like, you know, Gideon is pushing on Peleon, where's Thrawn? What is the plan? Peleon's very cautious, um, deliberate, which I'd say is in keeping with his legends role, um, just super excited to see. I want to see more Peleon, and I feel oh. like they nailed the casting on too. Hundred percent, yeah. Uh, Xander Berkeley did a great job as Peleon, and what's you know, he's in particular a very. Uh, I think he's. We've been waiting to see him for a very long time because when they, when they brought Thrawn into Rebels, Peleon was nowhere to be found, and. Of course, Pelion was a huge part part of the books, right? And then they then they started releasing new books in the new canon uh, that are focused on Thrawn. And again, there was no Pelion. And they did another trilogy, and there was no Pelion. And it started to become this like, where's Pelion? Question, right? Where, why isn't he showing up? And then in at the very end of Rebels, we hear a voice talking right before Thrawn disappears into the unknown regions with the Pergil, 
And it was later credited. We find out later it was actually credited to Pelion. And I was like, okay, that's great. Like, we heard his voice. We haven't seen him. Where is he? Uh, and he finally made an appearance in the book Thrawn Treason. But it's it's been a long... So at least we know he's out there, right? With the confirmation of Rebels and, and Thrawn Treason. But this is the first time actually seeing him. So personally, I got very excited. Like, there he is. He's finally here. We've been waiting for him to appear for years at this point right because when did rebels ended years ago at this point so that i just I, that made me very happy i love seeing pelion it it is really exciting i'm mm -hmm. i assume we'll see more of him in ahsoka um you know so it's hard to say but mm -hmm. hard not to be excited about it and it's i think it's going to be interesting to see how all are all of these warlords are going to work into the series moving forward Oh, for sure. And and I, I do think they're setting the groundwork for both the Ahsoka series and future projects to come. Because we, you know, you, you mentioned the squabbles between them, right? Some are trying to be more cautious. Some want to go out there and attack the New Republic. Some are just waiting. They're all really waiting for Thrawn. And it's pretty clear that while they're all scattered, Thrawn is their de facto leader at this point. He is the one they're all waiting for. Um, interestingly, Hux and Pelion have all of the resources, whereas the other warlords are kind of, uh, you know, begging for scraps. Uh, but Thrawn is the one everyone's waiting for, and there's a lot of secrecy over Thrawn's return. They don't know where he is. It's clearly from his disappearance at the end of Rebels. And there's starting to be a little, you know, dissent. Even Moff Gideon mentions at one point, should they look for a new leadership, Right. Uh, and so I suspect that the Ahsoka series will be all about Ahsoka looking for Ezra and by extension Thrawn and they find them and the season ends with them coming back to the galaxy in some way. And then Thrawn in Dave Filoni's movie probably will wreak havoc across the galaxy in uh, uh heir to the empire style, um, offensive. That's my theory. It's, I'm not a hundred percent sure because the the one thing that throws me a little bit is the. I believe Kathleen Kennedy had said that the Filoni movie was still like six to seven years out, which is a long time for if Thrawn wow. is introduced in August uh, or even at the end of August. So I'm. I'm true. very and, curious to see when what ends up happening here. That's true. And actually, maybe, you know, maybe he comes back and starts rampaging across the galaxy in in, you know, the series in some way. And it's not until the movie that they address it. But we know the movie will be that culmination of these various plot lines from across Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew and Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. And the two big things, I think, are the return of Thrawn they've started to tease across these series and this cloning thing, which I think we should also touch on momentarily. And, and the, so I have to yeah. imagine well, that they will, this, the movie will address those and kind of be, mm -hmm. I, I suspect, and they're not afraid to play the long game. How long have they been hinting cloning to us since the Mandalorian mm -hmm. season one now at this point, what 2019? Well, it's been years, right? That something's happening. But they've also been hinting at cloning all the way into the sequel trilogies because Snoke was supposed to be a clone. So we knew they were trying to work that way and cloning to at least try and clone a Jedi. And even in this one, I might as well get to it, that even Gideon sat there and said that he wants to put clones inside the armor of these troopers. Mm -hmm. So that's what those cloning things are 
appear to be moving well, toward. I think it's a little bit of both, right? Because we see clearly Moff Gideon wants to take create you take the you know Kaminoan knowledge and build make clone troopers in Beskar armor with force mm-hmm. powers. That's right. says that pretty clearly. And I think that's why they needed he was experimenting on Grogu in season one. That's it's very exciting to hear final confirmation. But there's also this reference to Project Necromancer that Hux is working on, and Hux's domain is cloning. Moff Gideon even says that in this episode. That, to me, sounds that, like the resurgence of the Emperor. That's the clone that, Emperor. That name was just creepy the way they said it. Just, yeah. ne- uh, just creepy. So, yeah, I could see that moving toward the Emperor. I think what we're going to end up seeing, actually, like this would be my guess, is we're going to see the Shadow Council uh, shatter effectively, and a true separation of the first order from the old empire um and we'll see hux's faction thrawn's faction gideon's faction mm-hmm. um and i i suspect the various tv shows will have us dealing with middlemen effectively up until we are ready to deal with the full full-blown thrawn armada or whatever it might be yeah um, yeah i mean like this this scene which is what maybe like 10 minutes long is very much i think the blueprint for the next couple of years of Star Wars television. Oh yeah, it, this yeah, is, that's kind of how it it appears. We've had hints set up. for 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 years at this point, but this is the first time we I think we have answers as to what are they planning, right? Even if we don't know the full story, we know now very clearly Project Necromancer. That's got to be Palpatine. We know what Moff Gideon's plan was for all the cloning tanks and why he held Doctor Pershing. I mean, they even says in this episode, right? He held Doctor Pershing. Oh, uh, and kept him away from Huck so he could have Pershing do his own experiments uh, about Grogu, right? Uh, and the Force, these Force-sensitive uh, clones in Mandalorian armor. Like, it's so, so cool. And I, I love getting all this detail. It's amazing. Really appreciated you had um, Gideon asking for, you know, pectoral guards and a squadron of TIE interceptors. And it was fascinating, not only interceptors, but he wanted bombers as well. So he was preparing for something that was going to probably happen later. But he was he seems like he's one of those where he's now a step ahead of everybody. Yeah, I, I think that was him, you know, replenishing the bombers he lost when he he attacked um, uh, Bo-Katan's castle and other stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I will say it's a little bit. Gives me flashbacks to the days of uh, Legacy of the Force, particularly the the Legend series, having the the Mandalorians treated like such a central like threat to the Empire. When mm-hmm. in reality, I don't think that's actually justified here. Like it, it, this implies pretty heavily. Like you know, we'll talk about the rest of the episode you know, as we come, but. Gideon implies pretty heavily, like, this, this is the majority of Mandalore that's left, or at least we've got, like, the, the main threat, because he keeps referring to, like, you know, eliminating the Mandalorian threat to the Empire. It's like, I mean, I, the Mandalorians are cool, don't get me wrong, but there's, like, what, 40, 50, maybe 100 or 200 of them? Are they really the biggest threat you're dealing with right now? But later in the episode, you do hear Bo-Katan say that they have, they're survivors, and it seems like with their culture, the culture is, unless they are completely wiped out, the Empire fears that they're always going to come back because they are survivors. The, the Mandalorian uh, culture certainly. will find a way. The, 
I expect them. I don't expect the Mandalorians to go anywhere, but I also don't expect the Mandalorians to be the ones that take down Thrawn either. Like no, I, that part, I agree with. Right. You. Yeah, I don't think and it I, can be. And you know, even as I'm talking, I wonder if Gideon's wor- thing he's actually worried about is his base on Mandalore, and he's projecting the threat larger in order to get the guards and you know ships he needs in order to protect what he considers to be important which is his base i could see that because he he clearly cares more about i mean he hides right he hid pershing from hux he's he's hiding these resources for to run his own little experiments and so yeah i think you're probably right steven that would make a a heck of a lot of sense as to what he's trying to do and that's kind of why i mentioned earlier that he was a step ahead because sure he needed to replenish the bombers but he can also send the bombers up against the light cruiser that's up in space to sit there and do the same thing to the light cruiser. And he needed the TIE interceptors. Plus, he knew that he was going to possibly be raided by the Mandalorians once they got on the surface. So he needed those guards. So that's how I read that. Is he, and because we're looking at quote unquote a possible second spy, he could have known that something like this was going to be coming. Yeah. You bring up a good point. They. The episode is called The Spies, plural, not singular. Uh, Elia Kane is pretty obviously one of the spies. Oh, yeah. She's definitely a spy. This is where I'm back and forth on right now about but who who's the second the, spy could be. Exactly. Who is yeah. the second spy or third spy, right? It, and I'm not See, I, sure. I think one of them for me got eliminated, so we wouldn't have to worry about that one. But... There's, wow. yeah, I know we're, we're, we'll get that one when we get there, but it has to be somewhere in the Mandalorian camp. There has to be a spy. Hmm. Could possibly. Potentially, potentially. I, I feel like the episode is trying to set us up to think that the armorer is the spy. And I didn't want to go she, there, but yes, she disappears mysteriously, like not mysteriously, but like she disappears just before the you know, attack begins. Um, we don't see her after she heads up to the Mandalorian fleet. Um, and, mm. you know, I guess they, like potentially also the Mandalorians who have been living on the planet where we know Gideon has a base are potentially in league with the armor or separate. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think it's either of them. Like the yeah. armor has been around enough. They're like hinting at it so clearly, but like, if the armor was actually a spy for Gideon, I feel like she could have done a lot more damage just revealing where Grogu was. Cause mm. I think Gideon would still be interested in getting his hands on Grogu if he was able mm-hmm. to. I think so. Yeah. But, but then that's the other thing when it comes to possibly the armor being the spy, the one thing about the, about this faction of the Mandalorians compared to the night owls and all the other ones, they're always on a, pl- they're on the planet. How did they get there? What kind of ship got them there? And then when the one Mandalorian kid was taken away by that beast, they used jetpacks. It was Bo-Katan who jumped on her ship and chased. You would think after all this time that they knew that at a certain point they'd run out of fuel from the jetpacks. Somebody would have a ship on that planet to actually follow that beast to where I, the nest was. I don't think they had a, another ship, right? And if they did, but, maybe they hitched a ride. The I think. Yeah, but 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 how do they hitch a ride to get from place to place? I mean. That's that's how do you hit your one question. I have. <laughs> well, you right. put your thumb out and you hope the galaxy will see it. Right. Um, I, yeah, I I think it's intended to be that they just don't have any ships. Um, and so they couldn't go after Ragnar in that episode. 
And that's why Bo's arrival is so is so huge, right? When when mm-hmm. she arrives or she arrives on Navarro with that the the formerly Imperial now Mandalorian fleet, it's a pretty impressive sight because now you have these warriors who have no they've just been hiding, right? The the watch, the children of the watch. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these other the true Mandalorians in some ways with their fleet arriving and it's our the first time we get to see these two factions together for the first time. And how odd was that for the armor to come out saying, Hey, you know what? Let's welcome this faction. Let's create a feast. Oh, I don't, I, I think it's strategic, right? She knows strategic, it, strategic. Is okay. it though? But, but hang wait, on, wait, hang wait, on. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. It's kind of bizarre to say, Hey, let's have, let's have this feast when you have one faction that will not take their helmets off Thank in you. front of anybody and another faction who's literally sitting there eating and in some cases giving the eye to the faction that's not taking their helmets off. Steve, well, well, no, I'm, I'm just going to expand on your point even more for William. <laughs> William, imagine there you have, uh, you're, you're meeting with your enemy. You've been fighting with them and suddenly someone's like, you know what, well, William, let's bury the hatchet. Let's, let's have a feast. We'll have a dinner together. They bring out a bunch of food, they set it down in front of you, and they just sit there and watch as you eat it. <laughs> Does that engender trust in you? Okay, I guess. I, I guess. would be uncomfortable. <clears throat> That's a fair point. That is a fair point. Um, yeah, I guess. I guess so. It, it's cool to see all the Mandalorians finally reunited, though. And yes, there's some tension at first, but we see over time throughout the episode, they start to... Uh, you know, get more comfortable with each other. And I'd argue that by the end of the episode, they're, they do trust each other. I think, you know, uh, I think at this point they didn't have much of a choice. They had to work together when it got toward the end of the episode. Exactly. Right. And I did find that funny, right. When they, when Bo-Katan was asking who wants to, she was asking for volunteers to go retake Mandalore. And, uh, you know, of course, everyone who is a named character volunteers. And I'm like, yep. Uh, okay. Just, it's just a matter of time. Axe is going to volunteer. And you know, uh, no, no, it's not the armor is going to volunteer. The and, characters. and then you have a Costco's couple gonna vo- of strategic red mm-hmm. shirts. So yep. that, yeah, you had the red shirts, red armors. Red, yeah. Close enough. <laughs> Wait, no, that's, that's malls. Mandalorians. Never mind. That's um, true. Yeah, I did kind of, I, I was, as I was watching, I'm like, okay, and now, you know, Axe is going to do it, and Casca's going to do it, and Paz is going to do it, and, you know, and the chick, 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 you know, every single one. Um, okay, but before we get into the, 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 uh, the arrival on Mandalore, though, we have to talk about what may, we'll see, may be the most controversial part of the episode IG twelve. They finally paid it off. Mando, I, he yeah, arrives well, at the high magistrate's office, and well, in walks the refurbished IG eleven, now known as IG twelve, who's been stripped down to his base motor functions and hollowed out so that it can be piloted by a small creature like an Enzelan or Grogu. I I don't see it as controversial. My my only pro. Um, I loved it personally. I, I, I agree with you. I thought, (laughs) I thought it was fun. And I really found the funniest part was everybody kept hinting that Grogu was going to speak. 
Well, I have a feeling he has spoken. <laughs> yeah. And his first word was what? Like any child. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Like any child. No. And then, okay. The other thing I did not see it being controversial, I did love the banter back and forth between Grogu always saying no, no, yes, no. And Mando saying, get out of there. No. Come on. I want you out of there. No. Are you hungry? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought that, that was, was great. I thought it was brilliant. And honestly, I thought it fit. Yeah. What, what did you think, Steven? I, I feel like you might have differing opinions here. I mean, I'm sad to see IG-12 destroyed effectively because you can you can call that IG-12 or IG-11, but it's not. Right. It's not even close. It is a different, uh, I, like, it, it's a suit more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I can feel... I, go ahead. I feel actually a little bit mixed. Um because on the one hand, I have been very vocal about Grogu needing to uh, be more capable in order to kind of keep up. And this kind of solves does it. give him yeah, it solves some it. of those it, pieces. Um, there is one crux I have, and I'll bring it up much later in the episode about this. But go ahead, Stephen. I am actually grateful that, like, I think it looks ridiculous and is incredibly silly. <laughs> But it at least means he can, like, he doesn't cart around constantly, which I think is mm -hmm. beneficial. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think my biggest issue is the yes-no. Like, it, it is funny. I'm glad it, they mainly kept it to the one scene. But it was, it's... <laughs> yeah. There were just a, 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 one or two more yeses, I think, than, <laughs> than maybe they should have done yeah. it in a row. But Yes, agreed. Uh, but no, I, yeah, I... I the first thing I thought when I saw it was, yep, Steven, I hope, will like this because, to your point, it, it solves the, how does he get around? He can now actually interact more than just using the force or, or, or kind of waddling very slowly. He can he can move at speed. He can he can talk in very, you know, simplistic terms, but he can still interact more with the world than just going, eh, you know. Uh, it solves a lot of problems. I it'll be interesting to see how long they keep the suit for. I don't think they can do it forever, but it's a, it's an interesting way to solve that problem in the meantime and have Grogu be more part of the action without growing him up completely. Mm -hmm. It I got really a little old. It. Yeah. And it got a little old of him being in that little hover egg or whatever it is, because again, the interaction was not there. The waddling part did work, but he would still move slow. Um, so this did work. And the scene going through the marketplace, I thought was, again, it worked. <laughs> yes. it, it worked very well, especially the, no, you can't have that. You have to pay for that. What are you doing? And he's just sitting there picking out. I thought it was it was a Melaru fruit that he had where he's squeezing it like, no, no, mm -hmm. no. And it's always, here's here's Mando paying for the stuff that that he's doing. So it worked because you still get that little bit of the, the father son interaction and it makes it a little bit more interactive because he can do a little bit more with it other than just, you know, being down on the ground to be picked up and held and walked around. Exactly. Exactly. And it becomes useful on Mandalore when they, they finally visit the planet and they, I have to say that this, that shot of the Mandalorians, you know, dropping through the floor of the gauntlet and landing on Mandalore was so cool. Like, I just want a poster of that, right? Mm -hmm. It's such, 
Yep, every time. They, yep. they continue to do amazing work with like ship CGI, and I'm mm-hmm. here for it. Oh yeah, it's it's an incredibly cool sequence. And this is, I, I was actually glad because the one as going into this, I was a little disappointed only because, you know, Bo-Katan's mission is to reunite the Mandalorians, and what does she do? She finds one faction that she used to work with, and was like, okay, let's bring us together and let's go retake Mandalore, right? It it's not a whole lot of reuniting the Mandalorians. If you're only getting one, you know, bringing there's only two factions and you're bringing them together. The it's always nice to see them encounter these other Mandalorian survivors as well. I would have loved to see maybe more factions too, but Mm -hmm. at least, you know, it's cool to see what, what, what these survivors have looked like, you know, some, some Mandalorians remained on Mandalore. What would that have looked like? And their art design was just, very very cool i thought their sailing ship if you want to call it was really cool um i the the one thing and and i'm my son was very funny about this because he really liked the episode except there's one part he was kind of expecting them to break out in a mandalorian sea shanty once he saw that <laughs> that that let's say land sailing ship um i cool never looking, took it though. that i thought it was cool i thought I thought that whole, just that clan that was left was so well done because it looked like they had been through heck mm-hmm. and they were so beat up and you could tell they were survivors and, and they were just scraping by, especially when the first thing that comes out of the guy's mouth is, do you have food? That's the yeah. first thing they ask for. So you could tell that they were there for a long time. He even said that they were there during the actual bombing and the purge and everything. And they were still able to survive just barely. And you really felt for them. So that whole thing of them and their armor and just so cool production design. Mm-hmm. And this takes us to yet another v- rare, but amazing, you know, lore dump basically where we finally get all so many answers we've been wanting about what happened to Mandalore on the night of the thousand tears. I I know Tom, you just as a as our resident Mandalorian fanboy going way back to the expanded yep. universe. Yeah, Calscarada. Hello. Oh yeah. How 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 did you feel finally getting all this backstory? You all you, you almost you wish it was okay. I still like the Mandalorian culture of old. I will say that. Okay. This to see all this just be dumped right there. You did feel sorry for her because everybody's just like, no, you ran, no, you ran. It's like, no, I literally sat here and struck a deal with him to spare my, to spare the people. Okay. And then he went against it after, after assurances, he wouldn't do it. And then you're hearing all this and you could just like, it's just, so deflating that Bo-Katan tried and, and it just did not work the way she expected it to be. I found that so surprising, right? Cause we, the fact that Bo-Katan, cause we always wondered what happened to the dark saber. She mm-hmm. went when once, once their forces were annihilated and defeat was imminent, right? It sounded like they'd already defeated Sundari. Maybe some other cities were still alive and, and okay. 
Bo-Katan actually surrendered. She sur- she met yeah. with Moff Gideon, surrendered the Darksaber, tried to negotiate a ceasefire with the Imperial Security Bureau, and then he betrayed them and killed all the rest of the Mandalorians and just continued bombing the planet to make a lesson of them. And it's... Heartbreaking. It's, yeah, it is. It is. It's and heartbreaking. It, and, you know, we always wondered what happened, right? She had the Darksaber in Rebels. Where did it go? Mm-hmm. Now we get the answer, right? She... The Mandalorians surrendered, which doesn't happen very often. Um, but but she did she did it for the right reason. Oh, she did. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And and that's and and that's the thing that's just very heartbreaking. And also, you know, to a certain extent, you can under, understand why when you're watching the whole dinner scene, why Axe and Kostoka did not really want her to tell the truth. Yeah, cause because they're worried about how it looked. Yeah. Yeah. It's like truth hurts sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it had, it was going at some point it was going to come out because if she didn't do it, you certainly know the way that uh, Moff Gideon likes to monologue at a certain point within this fight. If it didn't come out, I'm sure it would have come out at some point. Moff Gideon would have brought that out. How would that would have made her look if she didn't say the truth? He did. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that, that definitely would not have looked good. And so I, I love being able to hear how that went down. Finally, we get an answer. We get an answer to what happened to, you know, who are the children of the watch? Obviously it sounds a heck of a lot like death watch. And we had hints that maybe they're the same group. And, um, the armor reveals that death watch is no more. And the children of the watch is a splinter of mm. death watch that, cause apparently death watch fell apart shattered into many warring factions only one of which is the children of the watch and so that kind of answers that question right how does this connect back to back to rebels and the clone wars mm-hmm. um and we even you know learn the survivors have been there on the planet trying to live off the surface because the, da- the the cities below were too dangerous like we get a lot of lore all of a sudden to the point where i feel like we have a pretty pretty good understanding of what happened at this point yeah i don't know that there's a lot left to reveal here which is good because it it sets us up for exactly yeah the finale you know mm-hmm. and we can move on to the next piece of the story mm-hmm. yeah. yeah what will be fascinating is the thing about mandalore mandalore has always been too powerful for anyone to defeat it's always been our division that that destroys us and at this point with that speech, with her coming out for the truth, is it really going to now bring together the what's left over the factions and really bind them to where whatever or whoever is going to be left over to really get out there and and be a force to be reckoned with? Because that's the thing about, you know, the Mandalorian culture. It's not going to go away no matter how bad, you know, Moff Gideon wants to destroy it. It's not going away. Yeah. Well, it, it- and I think that that's what this this series is really about in many ways. It's how the Mandalorians overcome their differences and their squabbles and reunite because it's more important to fight back against the Empire or the the you know Imperial Remnant, and it's more important to retake their homeworld than it is to fight over silly things, right? I think that's a big piece of what we're gonna see. You know, Bo Bo is she doesn't know if she can keep everyone together, but I think she 
she will. And I also think that a big part of that will probably be the Mythosar, which still has not come back into play yet. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you, it's got to it's got to show up next week. Yeah, it's it's got to show up next week. Mm. And she's got to be the one that's going to be writing it. Yes, she has. I, I mean, I thought I was gonna. I thought it, it was gonna be the one that. I thought it was showing up at the you know on their way to the Great Forge when the the ground starts to rumble and some, a big creature comes out of the ground. But that, that was not the Mythosaur. I thought it might be, but it's it's not. Uh, I I enjoyed the the sequence between Din and Bo. That was a nice little moment between them two, or between the two, where Bo-Katan kind of reveals that she's you know she's not sure she can do this, and Din. I feel like he's just been sitting next to Bo-Katan not doing a whole heck of a lot for quite a while now. And this, this moment really, it really shows, it gives Bo Din a, a reason you know, and a motivation for what he's going to keep doing. Right. Why, what, what's his, what's his aim at this point? And that's, he's just going to accompany Bo and serve her until she completes her mission and reunites Mandalore. And I thought that was really cool. Cause we, it's kind of been Bo's show for the last season, really. Din's just mm-hmm. sitting there for the, you know, and he's he's along for the journey, but in some ways, Bo-Katan is the Mandalorian for the season. But it, it seemed to me that he's not only along for the journey, he's also there to basically have her back. Oh, and for, I think, for sure. For yeah, sure. And, then, and then on top of that, I think it also kind of helps smooth and solidify that, hey, she's the leader, and since I'm following her, hey, you guys from The Watch... You know that th- this this is how it should be. She is the leader. I have been following her this time. Why don't you guys just just take after what I'm doing and and understand that we we need we need to combine our forces. And she's going to be the leader of Mandalore, and we need to stop and put our differences aside and start following her. I mean, that's how I took it. Yeah. I- I think like with the beginning of the season, we were talking about, you know, is it a uh, uh, bow and Din team up? Like what is the the mechanics that are going to be at play here? I think I'm actually glad that it is just Bo-Katan. Like this is, it always really has been her journey in a lot of ways. Like as far as leading Mandalore, helping out its people. Um, I'm glad Din is there to support her. And like, he's definitely, I feel like going above and beyond in a lot of ways, but I, I think I'm actually glad it didn't get split. And it is like this season in a lot of ways is Bo-Katan's story started in Clone Wars, saw more of it in Rebels. And, you know, did we actually see it in Rebels? No, I'm not sure. No, I we, did. we did. We did. We definitely okay. did. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, and, you know, and here we are today, you know, the having arrived closer to like, you know, one episode away, theoretically, from the freeing the liberation of Mandalore or, you know, mm-hmm. however, whatever you want to call it. Yes. They're, they're a, they have a lot to do before they could liberate Mandalore though. Cause man, the end of this episode was, whoo, it was uh pretty intense. I think Steven, I, what did you think of the, the whole fight sequence? And once they finally get to the great forge, yeah, I mean, they get there and they are immediately uh, besieged by, like, it's not super clear what they are. Like, I don't think this is Gideon's Praetorian Guard, right? Like, this is just his... Right, it's just his commandos. Yeah, it's just his, yeah. his commandos with Beskar armor. 
And yeah, they're really cool. Is my <laughs> like you know same jetpacks. Uh, they supposedly have Beskar armor, although I feel like they go down very quickly compared to uh, you know the rest of the Mandalorians, or I guess just compared to Din. But then Din's got plot armor, so maybe that evens things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just get a big old underground, you know, shootout, and it was great. I like. I'll watch it again. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, the one thing I was noticing when they were fighting, the Mandos seem to know the soft points within the armor. Because when you really watch after a while, when they pull out the Viber Blades, they knew where to hit the soft points to take down those troopers. And I think even some of the, the blaster hits, after mm-hmm. they figured out they were Besker armor, they were starting to aim in different areas. Because I'm pretty sure one may have gotten his head separated by a shot or a knife. Um, <laughs> You know, but it's Filoni because Filoni has done that in the past. Yeah. No, the, yeah, the attention to detail like that is just <clears throat> so good. The The only thing I was wondering is why didn't Bo-Katan use the Darksaber? She had it on her the whole time, but she's using like a vibroblade and blasters. And a, like, you're, you're going up against Beskar. Grab that Darksaber and go to town. She was waiting for waiting for the right moment. Yeah. yeah um, perhaps afraid to lose it again, maybe. That's true. That's true. Uh, 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 that takes us to, you know, they 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 start the 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 Great Forge is this just giant rocky cavern, right? And they they start following the Imperial commandos, th- you know, around a corner, and it starts looking more and more Imperial. At first, you just have the Imperial lights. I'm like, that's that's odd. That that shouldn't be here on Mandalore. Why? Do, I mean, yes, it's kind of a classic Star Wars design, but why? Why is that there? I don't get it. And then they start going further. Oh no, that's that's definitely Imperial. This is what what huh what right? And the next thing you know, they arrive in a somewhat destroyed but a giant Imperial hangar, and that's when the doors, the blast doors, close and trap. Uh, you know, most of the Din and a few randos on the outside, and the rest of the group on the inside and he tries he really does but din cannot even with his flamethrower cannot stand up to those those imperial commando troopers on their on his own and he's taken captive i that was surprising to me i loved watching that fight that he has at the end there like he goes you can just you can feel him go above and beyond mm-hmm. like and you know just as they rope him and pull him and just mm-hmm. like drag him to the ground just really really well done on the cinematography and like fight choreography there mm-hmm. i was curious like why though like why do you why did gideon care about capturing din he wanted to interrogate him is the last thing he said. He said, take him away for interrogation. What Din can tell him? That anybody's guess until next next week. Yeah, I just I have so many questions because I don't know what purpose Din has to Gideon. Like, especially because Grogu is behind the gate. It's not like he's hidden right. somewhere, you know? True. Right. Oh, and and let, let me get back to the the one the one minor complaint I have Grogu with an IG twelve. Mm-hmm. So you've got him in there. He's able to walk. But he really can't defend himself in that thing. I didn't see it pull out a blaster or jetpack or jetpack. Anything like that, because when when the ship earlier, when the land sailing ship got destroyed by that big creature, 
there were two Mandos who grabbed each shoulder of the IG-12 and blasted out of there with them. You would think that there would be something in with the armor, at least with a jetpack, or maybe a blaster or something that could have survived. I but thought the, I thought the was, same thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so there we go. But yeah. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting to figure out why Moff Gideon needed Din at that point. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, Stephen, Grogu is nowhere to be seen because he was not even on that side of the of the door. Yeah. It, it sounds like he doesn't care about him anymore, potentially. I don't know. If 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 uh maybe Maybe Moff Gideon just doesn't care, but seeing Moff Gideon arrive in that black Beskar suit with the red accents and the the helmet, almost it looks reminiscent of Maul's Mandalorian helmet from the Siege of Mandalore. Oh, it just looks so good. And finally to see Moff Gideon back in the flesh after so many rumors, it's such a great moment, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, this is where he reveals his master plan with... Uh, you know, cloned Jedi wearing Beskar and how the, I guess the the only che- thing cheesy about it was that, you know, the best, what do you say? The best, the best part is just that I'm in the armor or whatever, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just such a great sequence. It is so, so cool. Yeah. That was a point in which you wanted to cut his monologue short when he said something like that. Yeah. And and clearly, right, he he believes he could take out the Mandalorians. He thinks, you know, he sends his his bombers toward the fleet in orbit. We don't see what happens to them. Maybe they survive, maybe they don't. The armor, well, remember, we didn't talk about this, but the armor went back up to the fleet to go uh take the injured survivors home and mm-hmm. and then Axe Woves left at the beginning of the battle to go get reinforcements. So maybe they got word in time, but and and that's that's the interesting thing when when you're talking about you know we already know that Elena Kane looks to be the one spy and the title of the episode is quote unquote spies. If you took a look at Moff Gideon's helmet, as William you pointed out, he had the horns on top of it. I you know kind of like Darth Maul. But have you ever noticed when it comes to the armor, the armor also has a row of horns on the top of her head. I I again I feel like that's just. They're trying to hint at something that's not actually coincident. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I actually yeah. like to imagine because like Death Watch was on the side of Maul, right? If I remember my Clone Wars correctly. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense that the armor, who is a faction descended from Death Watch or splintered off of Death Watch, would have that as well. And I do kind of like the idea, like especially with Gideon talk about like being the best of the Mandalorian and the Jedi and him that he just. He's just kind of a fanboy about it. He doesn't actually understand yeah. why <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's all great. He's just and, like, no, and no, maybe no. maybe that's why his 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 armor even has hints of Maul, right? Because he yeah. yeah, no doubt knows about Maul, and he was probably I I'm kind of the second coming of Maul in some ways. You know, yeah, maybe he's just a Maul fanboy. <laughs> I like that theory. I, I I hope we get a line about it. I don't think we will, but it would. I would love it. You never know. I mean, last week we had the the Count Dooku fanboy, so it could mm-hmm. it could happen. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's great, and you know, Moff Gideon flies off with Din, and they open the blast doors to kill the rest of the Mandalorians. So that's when Bo-Katan finally whips out the dark cuts a hole in the back, and as as I was watching, I leaned over to my wife and I said, "Is." 
is Paz going to be able to fit through that hole? Because he's got his like big gun. He's got a big suit of armor. It's a pretty small hole. And sure enough, the poor guy sacrifices himself. But what an what a last stand. You've got to give him credit for going down without not going, just it, going the way he went down. Okay. I mean, just once his gun just completely overheated. Okay, fine. I'm going to start taking you out with my vibro blade. <laughs> and then just, and then on top of that, I'm going to take you out with my, cause I think he shot his, uh, his grappler thing at one point and he was throwing him off the cliff and everything. And just one of the greatest fight scenes you ever saw. And then you get to see him meet his doom when those three pectoral guards came out. And they, they, they were like, would you say they're like the first version of these guards? Because they did not look like the, the way they did in the sequel trilogy. The helmets were definitely different. Yeah, the secret in, in the sequel trilogy, they are, I think, technically the uh, like the grand uh, elite Praetorian guard. Um, so, yeah, they're they are definitely the predecessor, but. Oh, such a great sequence. Steven, your thoughts? I just, I love the detail on Paz's gun as it's overheating, as he's blazing away. Um, mm-hmm. I also really appreciate that he, he makes the comment of like, there's, there's too many of them. Go, go. I mean, I'm adding words, but, and then he proceeds to just solo the entire boss room, you know, like he did not, <laughs> I don't know that there were actually too many of them. I think Paz just wanted all the credit and to get the coolest death scene, which, you know, <laughs> probably the uh, best Mandalorian death we've seen. I mean, oh, I yeah. guess Boba Fett is the only other Mandalorian we've really seen die. And I guess Maul, <laughs> Maul maybe, I don't know. I mean, technically it wasn't his death, right? Uh, but you're, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, but yeah. in any case, Paz is awesome. I think I'm actually just most disappointed that he's gone because yeah. Yeah. he was such a great presence and uh, I liked having someone in the the Children of the Watch that was not the armor. Like, mm-hmm. and it, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, we got Ragnar now. We've got Ragnar. Up here. Meh. 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 Yeah, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to they're gonna give that, give him his dad's big repeater blaster rifle and have him carry it around. I, mean, I think the first shot that comes out of that, that repeater's gone. A, yeah. I mean, but, but are they going to make him one? The kid's so small. If you were to try and shoot that sucker as a Gatlin, he'd probably fly about 10 feet back on the first <laughs> shot. Oh yeah. It, it's, it's, if you have to go out, that's the best way, right? It's just such a, such a cool sequence that I just am so impressed by how they, handled that and that's what the episode ends right it's paz is dead din is is captured and being interrogated bo and grogu and the other mandalorians are on the run who knows what's happened to the fleet up in, uh you know up in the in orbit it's kind of a dark ending in many ways a big big cliffhanger for next week yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see how they get out of it. Um and actually I, we talked about the spies, but I, my also, my personal bet is that Axe Wolves is the spy. Is this I could see spy. that I could so, now see that because that he, came to mind for when he left. Yeah, and he leaves to go get reinforcements, but then never actually does, leaving the rest of them to their defeat, which would work if not for Bo Katan riding the Mythosar, hopefully in a way that is far more exciting than Boba Fett riding the Rancor. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly what has to happen, right? I think Din's going to get rescued. 
Bo is going to ride the Mythosaur, and maybe that's how they rescue Din, right? They go down, they they find, we can't stop Moff Gideon, but I know how, the Mythosaur, right? It's probably going to be something like that. Uh, I don't know, any, any other theories on what will happen? I su- suspect we'll get some sort of cliffhanger or exciting thing showing up. We had Luke show up last season. Where do they go from here? I don't know, right? Well, I... But, the- Steven, I will say, so we just got the Shadow Council teased. The next show coming out, I believe, is Ahsoka, right? Yep. I, I don't mm-hmm. remember when Skeleton yes. Crew comes out. August, um, yeah. I, I suspect we'll get Gideon def- actually defeated this time, like, for good this, you know, not imprisoned by the New Republic, only to escape later like a Scooby-Doo villain. Um, and I think we'll get a tease <laughs> of Thrawn returning or something along those lines. That will lead us directly into Ahsoka. You know, that would make a lot of sense because we now know Moff Gideon's entire plan here. Mm-hmm. And so, and he's kind of completed it in many ways. It sounds like those 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 uh, commandos are clones. That's how I interpret it, at least. Uh, not clear if they have the force yeah. or not, but. Um, well, they could be the 1.0 version that are force, non-force users. Yeah. Do Sorry, this is maybe a weird question. Did we get a Mandalorian season four announcement? Uh, yes and no. A couple weeks ago, they said that they have pl- they've already written season five or sorry, season four. Oh, that's right. I do remember us and season about five. That. And so, yes, I suspect it's inevitable. I don't think they're just going to end their most popular show. But yeah, you never know. I. That makes me, I guess maybe it depends on what they're, what they envision as the next set of the story is. Like, I think mm-hmm. season one and two were very clearly a package story um, as far as, you know, the journey of Grogu, if you will. Um, season three has been the restoration of Mandalore. Yeah, I guess the real question is, is this the, like, who is the villain for the rest of the story? Maybe Gideon does escape, and that is the next season is Mandalore rebuilding plus the search for Gideon or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I, I'd be a little disappointed because I think Gideon is kind of overstayed as welcome at this point, but we'll see. Yeah. yeah. And yet, is two episodes back? Is that not enough, right? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see. I, there's There's so many... Oh, there's so many ways they could take this. I am just so, so, so excited to see where and how they wrap up this season. This episode was everything I've wanted mm-hmm. from The Mandalorian. It's It's got the, the humor. It's got the incredible action. It's got great special effects. You know, they finally go to Mandalore. The, all the Mandalorians reunite. It's just... Moff Gideon's back. You got the sacrifice of Paz Vizsla. It's just so good. You get the lore, so 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 much lore. Uh, the Shadow Council. It's to me. Well, yeah, it doesn't have like a Luke Skywalker sh- appearance type of thing. You don't need that, right? This is just great storytelling, and it's it's really cool. It makes me very happy, and so ah, I just. I loved it. I loved this episode. The more I talk about it, the more I reflect back on it, the more I enjoy it. 
if I then if I had to rate you, it, yeah, yeah, I was I had, gonna say you, you've been talking I, about it, you've been monologuing. I might give this a nine and a half out of out of ten Womp Rats. It's just so good. It's I loved it. I really did. Um, really good. Very exciting. Yeah, nine and a half out of ten. And my nine and a half Womp Rats. You know, once Grogu finished with IG twelve because Din won't let him use it for too long. The Wop Rats took over and they take turns riding IG-12 around. It's a little hard for the Wop Rat hands to operate those two knobs. I don't really also know how Grogu operates IG-11, IG-12 with those just those two little sticks, but hey, it works. Well, at least he's got, you know, three fingers and an opposable thumb, so that can <laughs> move the little thingies back and forth. Where Wop Rats, what, they just have claws? I don't know. Steven, um, what, what would yeah, you do? You go next. Oh, yeah, I think I have to give this a nine out of ten. Um, I, oh, I'm see, I'm debating now, but like, I think nine out of ten is about right. Um, overall, an awesome episode. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's interesting, like, we joked about how fast they got to Mandalore at the beginning, but this is kind of what I think what we were expecting in a lot of ways, and it did actually end up taking the whole season to get to, but they're just I just love seeing the story progress and the progress we're making here, which is, you know, all all I could ask for, honestly. Like, it's fan just amazing to see. I'm still not the biggest fan of the Grogu and his mech suit stuff. It's weird. It look like it looks weird. It is weird. It solves part of the problems. I wish he would just like talk. Like, I guess maybe we'll get that paid off in the next episode, hopefully. Um, it's definitely the thing I think I'd like to see them work on most, but I accept that, you know, it, it is what it's going to be. It's fine. I'll survive. So yeah, nine out of 10. Um, and my, uh, Ooh, I didn't really think through this, this through in detail ahead of time. Um, so my nine Womp Rats, uh, you know, I think they were just, look, the, the third kind of Mandalorian group that have like the cool pirate ship, they got to eat something. And there's not a lot of life left on, uh, you know, Mandalore. But you'll be surprised how long nine Wombrats will last if you're, uh, you know, rationing carefully. So they went to a good cause is my point. <laughs> Tom, I think that goes to you. Well, Stephen, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give it a nine rating. Um, yes, I was bouncing back and forth and I settled on a nine. Um, I've said enough about the episode. I enjoyed it. I think... The best part for me was the ending with the whole fight sequence and just watching all the special effects. When the Mandalorian fleet actually arrived on Mandalore, that was actually a really cool shot to see them come in out of hyperspace, you know, ship by ship and just settle in there. A lot of the stuff was great. Effects were great. Um, so I'm giving the episode a nine and my nine want brats. Well, the, the, the land ship, the uh, Mandalorians, yeah, they needed food, but they also needed entertainment. And these nine Womp Rats were the ones that were trying to keep them entertained for those long days of being on Mandalore trying to search for food. So that that they were there for entertainment. It was going to be 10, but you could kind of figure out what happened to the 10th one. That's why there's nine. Okay. Oh. Wow, such a great episode. It's this was so much fun reviewing with you guys. I just oh, it's great. I 
I don't even know how to how, what to say. It's just such a good episode, and I, for one, am incredibly excited to see what they do next week when they yeah. wrap things up. I, I think Honestly, we're going to be the same way. Go ahead. I'm looking forward to the end of the season. I was reflecting back. This this season started so roughly with that first mm-hmm. episode, to the, and especially mm-hmm. coming off of Andor, which was so amazing, and Book of Boba Fett, which was very much not. I was really worried about what was going to happen. And this season has just been fantastic. Like, I, I'm excited for the finale. I feel like we've covered a lot of great ground. We've had good character development. And, like, yeah, I'm sad there's only one left. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fascinating. And also, if we're going to get news on when they're going to start a filming of the fourth season, since we've only heard news that the fourth season has been written, um, you know, I... I it will be interesting. Or is somehow this going to some lead into Ahsoka? I mean, I think I think they'll do another season regardless. But I do think they will set up Ahsoka in the season finale in some way. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, Stephen. I think yeah. maybe it's like a... I don't think you can show Thrawn. But maybe. Maybe, maybe they show a Thrawn appearance or something. We, I don't know. We did just get the casting announcement for Thrawn a week ago. And so. and, yeah. and they, they name drop Thrawn in this episode in a pretty big way. They're mm-hmm. all wondering where yeah. he is. So who knows? And here's, and here's another thing. When they did show the Ahsoka trailer and you saw Thrawn on that bridge, who's to say... I'm just going to throw this out there. Who's to say that that shot didn't come from the Mandalorian? And they may have just thrown it in there to throw everybody off. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Yep, we will. We will. Well, oh, we don't have that long to wait. Next Wednesday, the episode drops on Disney+. Plus. It'll be the season finale of The Mandalorian Chapter 24. For those of you dividing by eight. Um, the... Uh, the uh, and some unfortunate news the uh the imperial remnant is after us and we have to go into hiding in our mandalorian covert so Stephen, what did you do <laughs> it wasn't me this time it it wasn't not it was not no okay um but that means unfortunately due to some scheduling uh for some scheduling reasons we will not be able to record for a couple weeks uh so we'll be back around in early may not 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 too long you have to be patient for a little bit we'll be back in early may uh about three weeks with our review of the season finale followed by the bad batch season finale the mandalorian our mandalorian season three recap and our bad batch season two recap we're also going to review star wars vision season two so we have a lot of content coming at you Maybe we'll even do an episode talking about Star Wars Jedi Survivor that comes out in like a week and a half. So it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. Um, so yeah, we will we'll be back not next week, but we'll, we'll be back in a in a couple weeks with our review of um, uh, of the Mandalorian season three finale. Thank you all for your patience while we get this out. And yeah, I can't wait to dissect it with you guys as soon as we're all back out of hiding. It's going to be hard not to talk about spoilers. I know, I know. (laughs) With that, thank you all for listening as always. And we'll be back 
in a couple weeks with our review of The Mandalorian Season 3 finale. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, IonCannonCast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at IonCannonCast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.